Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. All right, so here's what I thought I would do today. And uh, ladies, I'm going to let you all decide if this is a good idea or a bad idea, okay? Because it's your day. But I thought I would give you a question that if you want to throw it out over Mother's Day lunch and create some really good conversation, you can. And mothers, if you have a, uh, a son or a daughter, a grandson or a granddaughter who's maybe making some decisions that you aren't particularly really fond of, you know how that goes and y'all have some opinions. I, very rarely do y'all have opinions on what we're doing, but, but if you have some opinions, you can use this question, all right? So the question is this, what do you do when the opportunity of a lifetime requires a one-time compromise? Or another way to say it is this, what do you do when somebody's facing, when you're facing a big opportunity, but you feel like to get that big opportunity, you just got to have a tiny little, you know, compromise in some way. Maybe it's a, a job opportunity, a career opportunity, some sales opportunity, and you're thinking, okay, this, this would be so huge, this would make such an impact, but in order to make it happen, I probably just don't need to disclose this amount, you know, this little piece of information. I'll tell them everything else, it's fine, but, you know, just this one thing, or it may be a relational deal, and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting or hoping or hoping, you know, whatever the case may be, and now there's a chance for you to have that relationship you've always wanted to have, but in order to do it, if you were being honest, you'd say, okay, I do need to ignore just a few red flags or just, you know, just a little stuff. Values-wise, maybe we don't line up or, you know, I don't know if this would be the best partnership normally, but in this situation, you know, I think there's so much opportunity and you just, you feel a sense that you want to push those values to the back burner, those concerns, you know, just push them to the back of your mind for a little bit. It may be a financial deal. It's just like, oh, my gosh, this would, this would set us. And, okay, one time I may have to play in some gray areas I don't normally play in, but, you know, it would be okay in this one instance because look what the payoff is going to be. What do you do when you find yourself facing some big opportunity, but there's just that little, you know, nagging, gnawing, annoying voice, you know, in the back of your head that so often sounds like mom's voice for some of us, doesn't it? that's going, I don't know you should, and what about, you know, what do you do when you got the big opportunity? It's going to require this little one-time compromise. And then let me ask you this. Imagine, what would you do if it was an opportunity that you had been waiting with no hope for 13 years to get? So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But first, to catch all of you up, this is week three of our series, The Life and Times of Joe Jacobson. It's a series about the extreme story, a story of the highest highs and the lowest lows, a story that in some ways it's like, okay, I'll never have that high and I'll never have that bad of a low. But in the middle of it, there's a principle for all of us. It's a story of Joseph, who was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who we probably have all heard of. But the thing about all four of these gentlemen is this. Each of them had had a, a personal encounter with God, but that was all they knew about God. And I think this is important to the story. Each of them had had an experience with God where God had made them some promises, where God had confirmed to them or in some cases, you know, instructed them or shared with them, I've got a purpose and a plan for you. But none of them had seen all of those promises come true in their lifetime. And this was the only, their interaction with God, it was the only thing they knew about God. They didn't have the benefit that we have. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. They certainly knew nothing about Jesus and 
you know, communicating and demonstrating to us what God was like. They didn't have the, the confidence that, oh, he died and rose again, so, you know, he's got my best interest at heart. No, no, imagine that all you knew about God was your limited experience that you and your family had had with God, some promises that you thought God had given you at one point. This is all Joseph had. And at about 17 years old, he has a dream, and he in that culture, began to realize, I think God's trying to show me my future through this dream. And the dream was basically, oh, guess what, Joseph, good news. Um, eventually, you're going to be in a position of power where your entire family, including all other 10 brothers at the time that you have, they're all going to bow down to you. You know, they're all going to basically follow you. And he was the youngest at the time. It's like, no, 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 you're going you're to be in charge. So Joseph had this experience that his father, his grandfather, his great-grandfather had had where he's like, okay, I think God has a purpose for me. I think he has a plan. Here's a promise. But that promise didn't come true for a long time. And the part of the story that we can all relate with is Joseph is experiencing this in the middle of a family that is full of tension, that's full of drama, that is dysfunctional with a capital D. Okay, if you think your family's dysfunctional, uh, this will make you feel better. You'll walk out here and go, okay, it could be worse. Because Joseph's brothers, I mean, they hated him. And it, Joseph didn't make it any better. He was his father's favorite. He flaunted that. He taunted his brothers over it. And then when he had this dream, you know, he did what any 17-year-old would do. He went and poured a little salt in the wound and told his brothers, hey, not only does dad love me most, but God loves me most. Is God giving y'all any dreams about your future? Oh, no, he doesn't care about you as much, you know. Let me tell you what God told me. You're all going to bow down to me. Aren't you excited? I mean, it was just, it was terrible family drama, terrible family drama, so dysfunctional that eventually when Joseph's dad sent him to go check on his brothers who were out in the field shepherding uh, Jacob's sheep. They saw their opportunity. They hated him so much, they decided to kill him. I told you, you thought your family was bad. Well, you hadn't had any inter-family murders yet. So you're, you know, there's a worse level you can get to because they decided to kill him. And they would have killed him if it wasn't for the fact that one of the brothers decided, no, no, no. We don't have to kill him. We can just fake his death. We can convince our dad that a lion, a bear, you know, somewhere along the trip that Joseph got killed will tear up this beautiful coat that dad gave him. We'll put blood on it. We'll, we'll convince dad. It'll be easy to do. And then we'll sell him into slavery. We'll make money off of him. This is, you know, a win-win scenario. And so that's what they do. Joseph goes from, you know, all the prestige and, you know, all the position and all, all the fun of being daddy's favorite to overnight he's a slave. And he's taken down by Midianite slave traders to Egypt where he's sold to Potiphar, captain of Pharaoh's guard. And he becomes a slave there. And eventually he, you know, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. He makes a choice and I, I, can only, uh, I can only gather, it's just my opinion, but I can only gather that the reason Joseph made this choice is because he hadn't lost hope that God had a purpose and a promise for him. So Joseph decides, in spite of everything that's happened, instead of giving minimal effort, instead of trying to escape, that he's just going to do his very best to be the best slave that Potiphar has ever had. You know, it's like, why would you even give the effort? Why would you give the trouble? But Joseph does. Potiphar ends up putting him over his entire state and trusting him, which isn't that great of a reward, right? You're still a slave. You just got a little bare slave quarters than most people. And it's all going well until Potiphar's wife decides that, you know, Joseph's young and handsome and she would like to have a little pleasure with him. And so long story short, Joseph... Uh, you know, refuses so long that she gets insulted, she falsely accuses him of rape, gets him thrown into prison, where again, Joseph goes, oh, well, if I'm going to be a prisoner, I might as well, you know, honor God and be the best prisoner, which we're all like, this is just so unrealistic, but he does. And he ends up, you know, it's almost comical, he ends up, the prison warden puts him over running the prisoners for him, you know. 
Again, not the reward you want, is it? Not the reward you want. It's like, oh, great. Well, I'm still in prison, but at least I'm, you know, got some responsibility. I have to work extra hard while I'm in prison. This was Joseph's life. And throughout the entire story, and this has been the point of the series, throughout the entire story, there is this strange, um, odd, frustrating statement that the writer drops in again and again and again in all of these terrible circumstances. We keep reading this statement, the Lord was with Joseph, which causes us all to scratch our heads and go, oh, but that's not how it's supposed to work. And I think this is the whole point of the story, that we have to understand God can be with us and still not make things right for us. That's part of life. That God can be with us and he can cause everybody around us to experience success, but not us. That it is possible, in other words, for God to be with us and for life still not to be fair. And life's still not to be good. And this was Joseph's life. He kept making the right choice, doing the right thing, and everybody around him benefited, and he never seemed to benefit. But, again, I think he did it because he held on to this notion. Which, if we were honest, I think most of us would admit, that's crazy, you shouldn't even keep believing that, Joseph. But he held on to this notion, no, I think God has a purpose and a plan for me. So, I'm going to keep doing the next right thing. And so there he is, and this is where we left off last week. There he is in prison, and he's managing the prisoners, you know, and he's, he has no hope. I mean, imagine, you're a foreigner in Egypt. You're a Hebrew. You're a slave. You've been accused of rape. You, you, you've had your chance. You know, it's like, this is his life. He is, he's going to, a life sentence right there in the dungeon. This is not going to turn out well. And while he is sitting there in prison, doing what he was doing in prison, the writer tells us this. That sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who's Pharaoh, offended their master, the king of Egypt. Now, real quick, I just need to give you some context about this. So the the cupbearer and the baker for Pharaoh were actually really important roles because they had direct influence on the health and security of Pharaoh. Because back in those days, if you wanted to have an assassination attempt, the way you would most often do it is you would drop something into the food of the king or you would you know, drop something into the drink of the king. So that was the whole role of the cupbearer. The cupbearer would drink whatever the king was about to drink. He would just drink it first and the king would watch and five minutes later if he was still breathing, they'd be like, okay, good to go, you know. If he was not, he's like, oh, get a new cupbearer, but I, I missed me on that one. That's, that was the cupbearer's job. You know, the baker, obviously, big deal, you know. So we don't know exactly what happened, all right. We don't know what happened. We don't know if they were negligent in their duties. We don't know if the baker just served up, you know, three bad meals in a row. We have no clue what happened, but Pharaoh got ticked with both of them. That's the point of the story. And so what Pharaoh does is what you would expect. He was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. Oh, imagine this. You know, it's like we knew it was coming. In the same prison where Joseph was confined. And then the writer tells us the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph And he attended them. Congratulations, Joseph. You have two high-profile prisoners now that you have to take care of. And so, some time passes. As time always passes in prison, slowly. Maybe you've never been there, but if not, ask somebody. It's very slow, right? Some time passes. And after a little while, Joseph one morning goes in to check on these prisoners he has to take care of. And he notices that the cupbearer and the baker, in their what we would assume are adjacent cells, are both very troubled and very disturbed. And so Joseph says, hey, what's going on? What's going on? And they both tell him that on the same night, they have both had a dream 
that they have no idea what it meant, but it was distressing. And so Joseph looks at him and says, well, hey, I've had a little experience with dreams. You want to tell me and, you know, I'll see if my God will give me uh, understanding and I can tell you what these dreams mean. So they do. They both tell him their dreams. And the cupbearer goes first, okay? So the cupbearer says, here's what happened, you know, my dream, da, da, da. And he gets done. And Joseph's like, oh, my gosh, you're going to love this. This is incredibly good news. Because, cupbearer, what your dream meant was in three days, Pharaoh is going to send word to get you out of this prison. He's going to give you your job back. You're almost done. You thought you had no hope. You have hope now. Freedom is coming. You're going to get your position back. Congratulations, right? But then, this is what I love. He gets done giving the cupbearer this great news. And then he looks at him, and Joseph makes a plea. He says, but when all goes well with you, and you get back to the throne room, would you please remember me and show me kindness? Would you mention me to Pharaoh? You want me to mention you to Pharaoh? Yeah, like, just tell him there's a Hebrew slave down here, right, that needs some help. Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison. He goes on. He says, I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I've done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, the reason I love this is because Joseph is demonstrating the fact that I can trust God and still not be happy with what's happening in my life. I can trust God and still be like, would you please get me out of here, you know? So if you've ever been there and you ever thought, oh, I just hate my current circumstances, I wish they'd change. I don't mean you're not trusting God. That's fine. And so Joseph is doing anything he can. That's a long shot, right? I mean, you wouldn't expect the cupbearer to go back and say, Pharaoh, thank you so much. By the way, there's this, there's this Hebrew kid down there, you know, and he wanted me to tell you, it's like, no, I'm not going to tell Pharaoh that, and he didn't. The writer tells us that the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. Meanwhile, back up just a little bit. Meanwhile, when the chief baker hears what's happened, he's all excited. He's like, oh, the cupbearer's going to get out in three days, right? So he says, Joseph, Joseph, let me tell you my dream. So he tells him his dream. When he gets done, Joseph says, well, <clears throat> I have good news and bad news. The good news is you're getting out of here in three days as well. The bad news is how you're getting out of here. Pharaoh is going to send and have your head cut off, and he's going to impale your body on a pole for everybody to see. He's like, I could be wrong, but that's what I thought, you know? And Baker's like, I hope you're wrong, you know? Three days later, everything comes true. Chief Cupbearer gets his job back. Chief Baker is executed. Cupbearer gets back to the throne room. And as we've said, he completely forgets Joseph. He's not going to say a word. And so there Joseph is, still in prison. And you imagine, I mean, you've been in some situations where you thought you had hope, where you thought you finally were going to get an answer, where you thought everything was going to finally work out, and then it fell through. You know what that feels like. So imagine what Joseph felt like. Imagine the desperation, the frustration, the hopelessness when he realizes, uh, cupbearer's not said anything about me. So two years pass. And just to give you a little context, at this point, it's been 13 years since Joseph sold into slavery. He's now 30 years old. Two years pass. And one night, Pharaoh has a dream. And it's so disturbing, he wakes up in the middle of the night in a sweat, and he's all upset about it. He gets himself back to sleep. He has a second dream, very similar. He wakes up again, he's all upset. So the next morning, he goes to the throne room. He Calls in all of his, you know, counselors, his advisors, his wise men in the kingdom. And at this time, Egypt's the most powerful empire in the world. And he tells them his dreams. And he says, y'all got to tell me what this means. And they're like, we have no idea, Pharaoh. 
And they didn't. And the reason they wouldn't make something up is because, well, I mean, you know, you make something up, it doesn't come true. You're going to end up out there with the baker, you know, on a pole. So, so they're like, we're not taking any chances. We just don't know, Pharaoh. That's way beyond our ability. And so Pharaoh is all distraught and disturbed. And the cupbearer, well, he's over on the side of the throne room, as he always is, listening. And he realizes what's happening. And so he speaks up because he realizes Pharaoh is, bad things are going to happen if Pharaoh doesn't get an answer. So he speaks up and he says, excuse me, excuse me, um, I really hate to remind you of this Pharaoh, but you remember that time I did that thing, you got really upset with me and you threw me in prison? I'm so grateful that you brought me back. Thank you, thank you. You know, I'll never do that again. But there was this thing that happened while I was in prison. You know, I had this dream that predicted you were going to give me my job back, and I didn't know what it meant either. And There's this young Hebrew slave down in prison. I don't know anything about him except he interpreted my dream. Maybe, Pharaoh, maybe he could interpret yours. And so, they call for Joseph. Can you imagine? I mean, think about this. Joseph has no context. Suddenly, people show up in the prison. They clean him up. They give him a fresh change of clothes. They get him all shaved, you know. He's like, what's going on? Pharaoh wants to speak to you. Now, I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes and imagine the emotion you must have been feeling. You don't know why. But can we be honest? If it was any of us, we wouldn't care why, would we? We'd be like, I don't care what he's calling me up there for. I've got nothing to lose. I am pleading my case. This is my one shot. It's finally come. And so, he calls him in. Pharaoh is standing, in, or Joseph rather, standing in front of the most powerful man in the world at that time. Somehow, this slave prisoner has ended up with an audience with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh looks at Joseph. I mean, this is his shot. Pharaoh looks at Joseph, and he says to him, Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. All right. Now, this is the biggest and the best opportunity Joseph is going to have. After 13 years of futility, after 13 years of hopelessness, can you imagine the nervousness? Can you imagine the emotion? I mean, we have big opportunities come into our lives. We get so excited about them, but nothing with the emotion of this. And it is clear to everyone in the throne room that Pharaoh, sitting there on that throne, has total control over the future of this Hebrew slave prisoner. I mean, the outcome of Joseph's life, it's going to be determined in this moment. It's obvious to everybody. It's going to be determined by Pharaoh. So this is the moment that Joseph's answer is to be, yes, sir, I can interpret it. And if he really can't, you make something up because you got nothing to lose, right? Like this is the moment where you're going, Pharaoh, I got your back. I am your man. Thank you for calling me up. You know, don't send me back down. I'm going to do whatever I got to do. I'm going to say whatever I've got to say. I mean, this is the moment. Which is why everyone was so shocked when Joseph looks back at the most powerful man in the world with this big opportunity in front of him. And he says, I cannot do it, Pharaoh. Excuse me? No, I... Actually, I can't interpret dreams. You've been, I, I know the cupbearer is probably the guy who told you, but he was confused. It's not me. But, but, God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. 
Now, we don't understand this Egyptian context, but I'm telling you, when Joseph said this, everybody in the throne room groaned. Somebody slipped out and started getting another pole ready and, you know, getting the execution. It's like, it's like, oh, my gosh, don't bring up God. Because, again, some of you may remember this from history. Pharaoh, sitting on the throne, believed he was God. Now, they believed in multiple gods, but he believed he was one. And basically what Joseph did as a Hebrew slave prisoner is look at the most powerful man in the world and say, you're God. You can't figure that out. Well, I can't figure it out, but I got a God that's a little more powerful than you, and I think he'll be able to figure this out. So just hang with me for a minute. I mean, everybody in the throne room is like, oh, my gosh, how could you do that? Do not bring that up. But Pharaoh, he's desperate. And they believed in multiple gods, so Pharaoh's thinking to himself, okay, if you can prove that your God is better than, more powerful than me, and if he can interpret this, and I'll take it, you know, we'll just add your God to the list of Egyptian gods that we have. And so, Joseph interprets it. Pharaoh tells him the dream, and basically Pharaoh's, you know, had had two different dreams, and meant the same thing, and Joseph says, okay, here's what God says they mean. Egypt is about to have seven years of extraordinary abundance with your crops. It's going to be seven years like you have never seen before. It's going to be seven years that you're just going to have money flowing everywhere. But following that, Joseph says, God's telling you there's going to be seven years of famine and scarcity that are worse than you have ever experienced before. It's going to wipe out anything you've got with the first seven years. So, Pharaoh, this is what God's trying to warn you about. This is what he wants you to know. And everybody in the throne room, you know, just kind of takes a deep breath and waits to see. And then Joseph does the most ridiculous thing. Instead of shutting up, Joseph decides to give Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, some unsolicited advice on how to handle the situation. So he looks at Pharaoh and he says, now, <clears throat> before I'm done, I've actually got a plan I want to give you. Maybe you'll consider I think it's going to be a really good political and business plan here. Here's what I would suggest you do. I would suggest that you find somebody that you really trust, somebody who's extremely good at managing, you know, all of this revenue. And I would suggest that you implement a 20% tax on all the Egyptians for all the crops over the next seven years because we all know what farmers do when they have a good year. They go buy new trucks, tractors, and rangers. That's what all farmers do when they have a good year, right? So He's going, they will blow it all if we don't do something. So I, I want you to, farmers, we love you. But anyway, so he's like, I want you to, I want you, to you know, hold, take a 20% tax. Take a fifth of everything that they get. They'll still have plenty to live on. They will enjoy it. Let them do what they want with the rest of it. But let's hold 20% for seven years. And then when the famine hits, Pharaoh, you'll have so much grain stored up that you will have enough food to provide and to sell back to the Egyptians to, and the surrounding peoples to get through the years. Excuse me, Joseph, what, where'd you come up with that plan? Well, down in prison, you got a lot of time, and they offer educational courses. So I took Egyptian macroeconomics and Egyptian political science. I don't, it sounded good. You know, it's like, like what in the world? I, this is so absurd. It's like, here's a, a Hebrew slave prisoner advising Pharaoh. But it's an extraordinary plan. And so once Joseph is done, you know, like all the advisors in the room are holding their breath. 
And I think they're all secretly going, actually, that's a really good idea. I think I want to be the man he puts over all that. You know, maybe he'll pick me. Maybe he'll pick me. So they're all shocked when Pharaoh looks back at Joseph. And he says, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you, Joseph, to which everybody in the room was like, he's a prisoner. Yeah, but did you hear that plan? None of y'all could come up with a plan. He came up with a plan, right? So he goes on. He says, you shall be in charge, Joseph, of my palace. Excuse me? Yeah, I'm putting you in charge. All my people, including all these guys around here, are really going to be ticked with you. They are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne, Joseph, Well, I'll be greater than you. So Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Joseph goes from a prisoner to a prime minister of Egypt in about two hours. Now, I know that sounds ridiculous. And I know it's easy to go, oh my gosh, that has to be a made-up story. And I get all that. And I don't want to go into all the reasons why this could have happened. But for those of you who are hung up there, let me just tell you this real quick. The reason Pharaoh would do this is because of how much in that culture at that time they valued divine intervention, okay? So if you were somebody, it didn't matter where you were, your lot in life, if you were somebody who it looked like you had a special connection with God and that God spoke to you and divinely intervened for you, well, suddenly you got credibility. And this is exactly what's happening. Pharaoh realizes, you know, he's interpreted the dream right. His God, and he didn't know anything about his God either, but his God clearly is, you know, made him someone special and given him some unique wisdom. So I want to bring his God in. We're just going to put him in charge of everything. So that's how it happened. But that's not the point of the story, okay? That's how it happened, but that is not the takeaway. I hope if you're in a situation that's terrible, I hope that at some point in the near future, God is going to do something miraculous for you and it's just going to all change and be better. But there is no promise that's going to happen. That is not what you take away from this story. Here's what you take away from this story. That Joseph was willing to do the right thing, even if it didn't end right for him. That Joseph, think about this, that Joseph was standing in front of the most powerful man in the world And he was the only one in the throne room who didn't believe Pharaoh controlled his future. And Pharaoh held the outcome of Joseph's life in his hands. Joseph was the only one who believed, I'm just going to do the right thing because I know it seems like Pharaoh's in charge, but Pharaoh's not actually in charge of my life. God is. Pharaoh's not actually in control of the outcome. God is. So in this moment, when I am tempted to lie just a little bit, In this moment when I'm tempted to say whatever I've got to say and do whatever I've got to do for things to go well with me here. In this moment when this is literally a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I am tempted to push my values to the back. Let's not talk about God right now. I mean, he thinks he's a God. Let's just not bring, you know. In this moment, Joseph decided, nope. I'm just going to remain true to what I value. Because I don't think he actually controls my future. I believe God does. Now, here's why I bring this up. I don't know what it is for you, and maybe some of you aren't here right now. We've all been here at some point in the past. But some of you probably right now are facing a decision or an opportunity. And you may not have even thought about it this way until we started talking about this. But now it's nagging you and bugging you and you're trying to ignore it because you're like, I don't want to deal with that. But you're facing an opportunity where you are being tempted to or maybe you have begun to 
push your values to the back burner, to quiet that you know, little voice in you that says, yeah, but you should. You, know, you should disclose all of that. No, nah, you really shouldn't step into that gray area. I know it's a great opportunity. No, nah, you shouldn't do that. You wouldn't normally do that. Yeah, 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 I know. It just feels like you're finally going to get the relationship you want, but you're ignoring some red flags in this partnership that you wouldn't normally ignore. And you're being tempted or you were maybe already stepped into making some decisions you wouldn't normally make because you believe that your future and the outcome of this situation, what's up to you and what you do, or maybe it's up to them and what they decide. And you have lost sight of the fact that it's actually up to your Heavenly Father. And so you can leave here and you can do whatever you want to do and you can ignore that you know, tension inside of you, that still small voice. You can do all that. But before you just move on, could I ask you a question? What would someone like you do in your current situation with the current opportunity you're facing if they were confident that God was with them? What would they do if they were confident that God was ultimately in control of the outcome and the future? What would they do if they were confident that following him and doing the next right thing is more valuable than seizing whatever opportunity seems to be in front of them? Let me tell you what I think they would do. Let me tell you what I think you would want your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, your sorority sister, fraternity brother, you know, your brother or sister, your mom or dad, you know, the people that are closest to you when they're facing this. Let me tell you what I think you would want them to do. I think you would want them to stay humble and true to what they value. I think if you were confident God was with you, that you might choose to stay humble and true to what you value. Even if it felt like it was going to kill that opportunity, that that financial deal would never go through, that that relationship would not last, it would have to end, that that business opportunity, the career opportunity, the job promotion, that it might cost you everything to disclose, you know, the last 10%. I think for somebody who's confident that God's with them, you just stay humble and true to what you value. I'll tell you why. Because there is a story that a few years down the road you would want to tell. And the story that you would want to tell is not a story where you told people about the opportunity and you had to leave out just a little bit of the story because you compromised your values. I think the story you would want to tell is, you know what, I, just, I did the right thing even if, though I knew it might cost me. So if that's the story you want to tell, the decision you have to make right now is actually really simple. You just obey God and you leave the outcome in his hands. That's it. You just obey God. You stay true to your values. You do the next right thing. And you don't worry about what the outcome is going to be. You just leave it up to God to choose whether it turns out good for you or not. I'm telling you, you cannot do that. But you do not know what you are missing when you don't. When you compromise just a little bit, you don't know how that may impact the purpose, the plan, the future that God has for you. Joseph, 
Joseph had no idea what God's bigger purpose was for him. And next week, we're going to see it unfold. He had no idea how God was planning to use him. He had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to stay humble and true to what he valued. And I would just remind you, you don't either and neither do I. So as much as it may feel like it's going to cost us, maybe it's worth listening to mom's voice, to God's voice. They sound a lot, sometimes, a lot alike sometimes, don't they? To, to that little voice in the back of your head going, Mm-mm-mm. do the right thing, no matter the outcome. Joseph did. And it eventually all made sense to him. And I would suggest it'll be worth it for you too. Let me pray for us. Father, I don't know where this lands with us, but I know we've all got situations, we've all got opportunities, we all have decisions where, well, we really are tempted just to push our values to the back burner, to quiet that still small voice in our heads. Would you help us not to ignore it? Would you give us the courage to stay humble and true to what we value, to trust you enough to obey you and leave the outcome up to you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.